and welcome to another episode of Musul. We are your hosts, Hadi, Ngone, and Jama. On this podcast, we share a microphone for fresh conversations on current affairs and women's realities beyond a single story. We hope our listeners are doing well, and I hope both you, Jama and Gone, are doing well this week too. Jama, how have you been? Good, good, good. Um, been in great spirits. Yeah, I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> I guess we're in, we're in recovery mode, actually, uh, from all of the stress and the trauma um, of 2020 and a very, very long January year. Um, but yeah, I'm doing good. Great to be here again and looking forward to our discussion today. I am very glad to hear that. So what about you, Ngone? How are you? I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm doing good. I, I'm I'm doing really well. Alhamdulillah, everything is going fine. Decided to not stress myself to death. Take things one step at a time. You know, life is short. Live it. Chop life before life chops you. You know, just vibes. <laughs> just so work vibes. and vibes. <laughs> vibes and inshallah. <laughs> yeah, work vibes and inshallah. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that B twenty one should be everything needs to be vibes and inshallah. Yeah. We cannot come and kill ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just it will not work after everything twenty 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 did to us. Cannot continue to cover side down. <laughs> so, yeah. How have you been? I'm alive. <laughs> I think for me, we'll check in again in twenty twenty two. I'm alive is all we can say. But alhamdulillah. So before we get into today's topic, we wanted to share with you our quote of the week. This is a snippet from Maya Angelou's very famous poem, I Rise. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. So, what do y'all think about that? Beautiful. I'll start with the snaps. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Maya. It's, it's Maya. And, I mean, this is one of my favorite poems, actually. Because the message, um, I think it's applicable to so many different situations, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's, for me especially, just an embodiment of how, you know, we live life fighting against so many forces that are trying to bring us down and still we're rising and still we're beating mm-hmm. the odds and still thriving. So for mm-hmm. me, like, I read it in any situation at all. It could apply. But obviously this section as well that we have spoken is mm, all the vibes. <laughs> it's all the vibes <laughs> for me. And yeah, still we rise. I, I love that. And considering, so today's topic, by the way, it's on modesty and how it links to sexuality. And I'm glad that Maya said, does my sexiness of Because we know that with our people, sometimes a woman being a little too sexy and being confident in herself does upset people. So I I thought that that was a good, um, 
I mean, we all thought that that was a good quote to start today's session with. So yeah, and I think um, one of the things, one of the reasons why we chose this um, quote, so like we said, the last episode, we're choosing quotes to begin with, and that really sets the pace for what we discuss uh, during the episode. And so today we're discussing the politics of modesty and the links to sexuality. Now that might sound like a very heavy topic. It might sound like a huge box, and that's exactly what it is. We can't really get into all of the contents of that box. But we will try to um, look at this again, like we said, with three Gambian feminists sharing a microphone and sharing our perspectives. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So um, the politics of modesty in a Gambian culture, in an African culture, and for the three of us, where we have an intersection of religion and culture and uh, gender, so as black, Gambian, Muslim, African women, it's so, so many, many different. So it's actually one in three intersections, actually. But Those, we have a multitude of identities uh, that just sit in a place where the politics of modesty sits on our heads. Mm-hmm. And it's a burden we carry. And so um, I guess maybe just we could just talk about what expectations usually, because that's really the burden. It's like there is a gendered angle to it. When we talk about modesty, usually people think women, 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 because we are the ones who are, I guess, supposed to be modest and you and Jack and all of the adjectives that they use to just keep us in the box and look like what people think we should look like. But um, we have those expectations. How do we see these things manifest in our society? Um, I think in our society, modesty is more more physical than spiritual, especially Mm. for women. A modest woman in our society is someone, you know, who covers up or, you know, even if you're not wearing a hijab, you're someone who you and you in this sense is what you wear, not your, your spiritual connection with God or whatever higher power you believe in you in the sense that what you wear, do you wear mini skirts or do you wear, you know, loose pants or loose skirts? And, you know, do you show your cleavage? Do you hide your cleavage? Are you wearing a hijab or are you not? So in our society, modesty is yes, it's very physical. It's what you wear, how you portray yourself, how you sit, you know, how you, how, how you speak and interact with people, your relationships with people that is, I think that's how we see modesty. But to me, modesty is deeper than that. Modesty mm-hmm. is, is it, it's, it's wider. It's a, it's, a, it's a much wider thing than that. I think it has to do first and foremost with your spirituality, what you believe in, how you relate with whatever you believe in. And that then translates into your relationships with people. For me, that's where modesty begins. And then that can sometimes, you know, translate into an outward look, into how you look. But yeah. I think the way we regard modesty is very eh. Yeah, it's very eh in the sense that also the burden is put on women to be modest. Whereas, you know, when you go to homes, girls or young women would be forbidden from wearing certain types of clothes, from, you know, wearing their hair a certain type of way, from, you know, doing certain things to their bodies. Whereas with boys or young men, the rules are completely different. You see a young man walking around with a pants all the way down to their knees or whatever, but that's kind of seen as normal. Nobody expects them to live up to that threshold of modesty that, you know, young women are expected to, to live to. 
I think that's how I see it. Yeah. And even when they when when it's frowned upon, it's just from a point of then and the doesn't do a gambayutali, but it's not coming from the point where you know, like with, with what women experience, you're vilified, you you're sort of made to feel like you're sinning and you're worthless and all of those many different things. Mm-hmm. Hadi, you want to come in there? Yeah, and especially it starts from a really really young age because I just want to pick it back pick it back off of Gona about what she said about you know having to look a certain way in households because it's not like oh you need to be modest so that you're not uh, so that you're a good Muslim quote unquote it's more that you need to look like this so your uncle would look at you a certain way so your cousin would look at you a certain way so it goes back to like placing the onus on women to and girls to look a certain way so that they will be quote-unquote respected and they will be quote-unquote protected from sexual violence and sexual abuse when we all know and research and just living life in general tells us that looking and dressing and acting respectable is not going to stop certain violent acts against women. So it comes back again, I guess, to the socialization because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking how... Even things like do you who why you you know mm-hmm. the, the things like that it ties again to how women are seen and not heard, mm-hmm. but even in this mm-hmm. case, your being seen is based on certain criteria that people have mm-hmm. you know just created and expect you to fall into but we, we talk about the home and how this happens there, but it really doesn't just stop in the homes right it, it follows mm-hmm. us everywhere we go as women mm-hmm. you know what 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 have we seen? In the offices, for example, you know, or just in I mean, professional spaces, because like I mean, it goes beyond the offices, right? So with, yeah. with, let's look at informal, informal sector, wherever it is, wherever women are going out. So yes, we have the home. Um, let's let's look at that as a as a domestic space. But then once you step out of the home, it's not like it stops at all. If mm-hmm. anything, it might even be worse mm-hmm. when you go outside. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, what what are what are those experiences? What have we seen? I think um, beyond the home, it also goes, even before the workplace, it goes to the schools. Yeah. For example, you know, I remember this was a silly thing, but when we were in, when we were in primary school, even the way you tied your belt, because our uniform was a dress. So even the way you tied your belt had some form of connotation. You know, mm. when your belt is at the back, it means something. When it's at the front, it has some other meaning. The length of your uniform says something about you. And the hairstyle. You know? There were schools that had like... Everybody rocks the same hairstyle. Yes, St. Peter's. Wow. St. Peter's, everyone had to, you know, have their hair to the back or, you know, one puff in the middle because, you know, having a certain kind of hairstyle would attract boys. So, you know, in order to, to, yeah, promote modesty and, you know, to look neat and just conform to a certain look, you know, your hair had to be a certain way. Your uniform has to be a certain length. And this, uh, this, like... Personally, I don't think there's anything wrong in promoting, you know, decent quote unquote, um, you know, mode of dressing. But the problem comes where all of this is is a burden put on women, yeah. on especially on girls. Mm-hmm. Because I feel when you become a woman, then you have some sort of say into how you portray yourself. But when you're a young girl, this entire burden is placed on you. Your uniform or whatever clothes you're wearing have to look a certain way. Other than, otherwise, like Hadi said, you're inviting the gaze of men, of older men who could prey on you. You know, the way you act, the way you walk, the way you speak. And then we see these things also translate into the workplace. Yeah. You go to work, your skirt is a certain length, you know. People would say, oh, you're looking too, 
seduce or impress your boss or some other male colleague yeah. you know your pants are tight it's looked at a certain way when you hold certain positions within an institution as a young woman you're expected to dress certain a certain way and i mean by that i mean you know people expect you to wear african outfits you know just loose fitting clothing because that is what suits someone in that position so basically it's as if um as long as you're holding that position, you have to conform to a certain look. And if you don't, it's seen as if you are not deserving of that look because you don't look like a responsible person. I think, yeah, that's the word. It, it, it's like your mode of dressing or whatever modesty you're pro- portraying is linked to how responsible or irresponsible you are. So you could be the most educated, the most experienced person. You know, you know your thing, you know how to do whatever it is you're doing, but you're not seen as a responsible person because... Mm-hmm. In other people's eyes, you're dressed a certain way, which is, I, I think, is just absolute garbage. And I, mean, I would like to add, yeah. So before you come in, I think, um, and I, I, I would like you to comment on this. Ngone is talking about this, and I'm seeing this double-edged sword. It's like, okay, um, you're expected to dress a certain way, but then we've also heard the stories of, you know, especially corporate institutions, corporate businesses. Um, who place women at the fore. So they're like customer-facing, for example, mm-hmm. and they're expected to dress a certain way. We've heard stories about banks. I'm not saying this is what happens, but these are the stories that we have heard. You know, women in customer care, for example, expected to dress a certain way to be able to attract customers. So it's like, it's it's on two sides, it's mm-hmm. two edges, and you can't win on any side. Hadi? Yeah, I, I mean, even before I go back to the point I was making, it's the, it's a, it's a commodification of women because you're commodified. Mm-hmm. It's like you... Yeah. You can be sexy, but not too sexy, because at that point, you're expecting that sex will sell. Because mm-hmm. you want people to come to the bank, you want a pretty face, you yep. want a little bit of cleavage, so that, you know, the bank, This that's the bank that you go to, mm-hmm. because you know that if you get there, someone, you basically, you, it'll be a sight for sore eyes. Mm-hmm. Let me just put that in the, mm-hmm. I guess, the nicest, respectable, quote-unquote, way to put it. But then, and then it's like if if you're a woman that's in a cor- in a you know in a corporate position or in an office and you're getting to the top, but then you're not seen as respectable, it's an automatic assumption that she has to be sleeping with the boss or she has yeah. to be sleeping with someone on the <laughs> higher. Yeah. Because there's no way she can look like that and have brains mm-hmm. and make it to the top. Because mm-hmm. clearly, beauty beauty and brains do not exist. They cannot coexist in one body. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing, if you you know, if you put effort into your looks and if you are comfortable you know wearing that skirt or wearing you know something that isn't african then you have to be, you have to have attracted your boss and you must be sleeping with your boss in order to be able to get to where you are mm-hmm. and to 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 link to that as we we're talking about this i just remembered the case of uh, maris marisol i'm just thinking about that because you know this woman comes out mm-hmm. to declare that she wants to contest for the presidency and she looks nothing like what we think yeah. the average responsible Gambian woman sh- should look like. I mean, she's there, mm-hmm. she she's beautiful, mm-hmm. she's young, mm-hmm. she's wearing, you know, a very nice corporate outfit, her hair is cut mm-hmm. and not only is it cut, it's tinted blonde. Yeah. So everyone is like mm-hmm. up in arms. Oh no, she cannot be our president. Look at the way she's dressed. She's showing her cleavage. She's doing this. She's doing that. And you know, it's just it's just crazy how just by looking at someone, we can just assume or, or conclude that this person is not a responsible person. We're not mm-hmm. even giving you giving you a chance to listen to you, to listen to what you're presenting. And then you look at how 
how how she was welcomed and you compare someone like her to all the other male candidates that we have seen in this country and none of them have been questioned to the degree that she's been questioned with just because of the way she looked the way she chooses to dress and and she is not the first person to whom this has happened and like you said it's like i think modesty here in the gambia you cited the example of people working at the banks customer care and things like that expected to bring in sales and clients and it's like modesty mm-hmm. is something that we have to switch on mm-hmm. and switch off at not at our pleasure yeah. but at some at society's mm-hmm. pleasure or at mm-hmm. society's convenience mm-hmm. so when society mm-hmm. feels like okay this is a moment wherein you know you can be a little quote unquote immodest or you can be you know a bit free then you're expected to do that otherwise mm-hmm. you suffer the consequences mm-hmm. but then when society feels like you should look a certain way or act a certain way and you don't do that then there's a problem again so yeah. it's like so, you can't win it's back to the politics <laughs> it's back to the politics of modesty and i think we can relate this to so many different experiences that women have mm-hmm. i mean you can do this as long as we authorize it as long as we approve of it but mm-hmm. if you're doing it without our approval without our consent then it becomes a problem mm-hmm. and i'm just thinking i mean it's like we said it starts really early from how we teach girls to nakangatoge to jasatankai burwasikau you know it starts really 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 early and i'm just thinking mm-hmm. how you know this eventually impacts on the confidence of little girls who grow into young women who grow into older women who would now find themselves in these spaces and can't even push back because mm-hmm. they have internalized all of the negativity and all mm-hmm. of the restrictions and the policing from when they were little mm-hmm. girls and they don't even know that they can push back mm-hmm. you know because we mm-hmm. see some of them just fall for it and mm-hmm. start to dress more modestly mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. and it's not really out of their own choice mm-hmm. but it's really because ah nyuneman limali jagut so i should do mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. you understand so i'm i'm just i'm just thinking what obviously there are those consequences i mm-hmm. mean it it has an impact on confidence it has an impact on esteem on how people present themselves mm-hmm. you know so and uh, in addition in addition to that it also yeah it it impacts how we regard how we regard certain things that affect us like you know sexual harassment for example because we all know in you know advanced societies or developed societies just the mere fact that you're commenting on your coworkers or you know somebody else's mode of dressing their cleavage or you know how big or small their mm-hmm. ass looks in those pants mm-hmm. is sexual harassment but then in the gambia because of the way we regard modesty and the way we treat it even when someone comments you know on your mode of dressing and says well you shouldn't have worn that because your skirt is too short or your pants are too tight or you know your dress is too light or whatever whatever comment they make you know it it would not be treated as sexual harassment because it's looked at as somebody giving you advice on how mm-hmm. you should look more decent to me but i've and, seen you know, this happen where someone commented on somebody else's mode of dressing that you know that person shouldn't be wearing clothes that tight because of the way their body is built and when whatever and for me and some of my other friends we saw this as sexual harassment and we reported it and you know that prompted you know other you know management being asked to you know develop a sexual harassment policy and things like that mm-hmm. but you would see that even the person this happened to did not see it as sexual harassment and then the person who did the harassment you know his defense was you know i was giving them advice on how they should dress and this that opinion is also what management carried because they were you know they made comments like well you know if someone is giving you advice on what to wear they just want what what's best for you is that what they paid to do you know, are you going into the office to, to give do. advice that is not your business you <laughs> wow. know what's up i'm going to tell you 
or they'll tell you that, oh, it was just a joke. Yeah, sometimes they do it also mm-hmm. from a point where they try to make it sound like a compliment. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, mm-hmm. mom, somebody else, yeah, you know, and then, wow. like, ah, goodness mm-hmm. gracious. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what had he said about it being made, made a joke? I remember after that incident happened. You know, even when somebody comes up to you and they're chatting with, with you and they try to shake your hand, they'll be like, oh, I hope you're not going to say it's sexual harassment. You know, and I'm like... And it gets watered down oh my to God. a point where nobody takes, where nobody it, takes seriously. it seriously. Yeah. But just mm-hmm. you, the mere fact that you're telling someone that the way they dress, you know, is not good for somebody of that body type and whatnot. I mean, it's harassment. It's none of your business. And it's not your, your job to preach modesty to someone. And I think it's an interesting transition to our other point where Hadi um, will will come in is how, for example, you've said this and you're talking about this doesn't look right on your body Mm -hmm. and how that is just rooted in body shaming because usually when that happens, you're looking at women, you know, who are bigger size, Mm -hmm. you know, who are plus size. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of body shaming. It's like, okay, you know, bigger women Mm -hmm. do not have the right to wear what they want to wear mm-hmm. because, well, that's an affront to my view. I don't mm-hmm. want to see it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a small person, it's, if it's a tiny person, we don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. You understand? So um, I, I think this is rooted in body shaming. And when mm-hmm. you bring that to black women, add a layer of colorism, add a layer of racism, and you have a whole pot of nonsense. It's, it's, complete, it's complete, complete nonsense. Because mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about my experiences growing up. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm... The things be hanging sometimes. They were sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is sitting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you're forced to. Um, I mean, personally, me, I don't care. I wear what mm-hmm. I want, even though it's like modest or whatnot. But it's a personal choice. But mm-hmm. it, and it has nothing to do with what someone wants me to wear. Mm-hmm. But it's like if I had to wear something and Gemma had to wear the same outfit, yeah. they would look at me like I was the lewd. Mm-hmm. Call it. I was the problem because mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to show off figure. And like, mm-hmm. let's say we we're wearing a backless dress mm-hmm. with a little bit of cleavage mm-hmm. and some booty. Mm-hmm. Jama would look elegant. Mm-hmm. I would look trashy. Yes. So, and it, it has nothing to do with the outfit, but it has everything to do with the fact that, like, our bodies are different. Mm-hmm. So, from a young age, you're told that, okay, if you look a certain way, you can't wear certain things. Mm-hmm certain things then you're going to be the problem because how dare you show off what god gave you right mm-hmm. or why even if you're showing it off then you have to be doing it because you want the attraction of a man and then you want you know it's everything again goes back to women not having the agency to do what they want or mm-hmm. wear what they want because it's going to translate into them doing it for the male gaze mm-hmm. and as dark women as thicker women you automatically not look I mean maybe think of women says one thing but as a darkest skin woman looked at as the pinnacle of what looks good to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. What what's the quote again? Like it's always something about com so yeah, yeah. It's not uh, exactly. Exactly. it's not something that, you know, that's easy to work through especially for young girls where it's like you sit down they're taking all these you know pills all these different things to, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's not going to change like what society tells us is modest and it's beautiful and all that mm-hmm. it's not going to change the fact that for the next generation to come girls and women will still be subjected to certain ideals that shift 
mind you. So there's no one singular goalpost for everything. Mm-hmm. Things continue to shift. And until we're able to just be like, hey, yo, you're beautiful the way that you are, and mm-hmm. you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to just be, you know, looked at as someone that's worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. Not even beauty, but just respect in general. Someone that can be like a normal human being. Until we change those norms, it's going to be so hard for girls and women to feel like they society, especially ours. An interesting point you raise is around how when you dress the way you want, especially if it doesn't look like what is socially prescribed as modest, um, people usually see it as jayo, right? That's mm-hmm. the word. Mm-hmm. Um, you're selling yourself, you're trying to get the attention of men, and it comes down to even like tiny things like anklets. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> to laugh because that's that's a piece of jewelry that you're just wearing around your uncle and, and and it's a huge part of our culture how does it how does it translate into being a prostitute or a sex worker because that's what that's what people translate it to you start wearing that and they're like yeah i'm a nichaga it's a piece of jewelry that it's just like the necklace you put around your neck you know it i don't even want to get into tattoos <laughs> I don't even want to get into uh, tattoos. I don't even tattoos, want to get into the piercings. Mm-hmm. You understand? But it, it's it's a lot of policing around what people should look like. And mm-hmm. I, I think that I'm still going to quote this for so many years to come. When Go says, in Gambia, modesty is, you know, it's more physical than it is spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's more about mm-hmm. what the external looks like than mm-hmm. what the internal actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so. And it's a burden. I wanted to just add that it's a huge burden. That's why we see a lot of girls. Hmm. You'll sit down, see them trying to wear the hijab, yeah. sometimes for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. and then they remove it. And the first thing you hear is, But then it's those same people that, first of all, you don't know what that person is going through. Mm -hmm. You don't know why they've removed it and what Mm -hmm. spiritual state they're in. But because modesty is so physical in our in our our context and in our societies, we just want to see the external that oh she dresses or appears to look like a quote unquote good woman that I can take home. And even it, it might even be those same people who, when the person decide or when the woman decides to wear the hijab, for example, or just dress modestly in general, would be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, how much mm-hmm. you know, yeah. okay. you know they, they, it's it's a, like I said, it's it's a double-edged sword. Any any side you use to hit yourself, you get caught. Mm-hmm. There's really there's really not much of an escape um, from that. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say that I like that you're talking about jewelry and mm-hmm. it reminded me also of hair, dreads. Like, oh. okay, mm-hmm. we all have nappy hair, we're Africans and our hair, if you don't comb it or you don't touch it, it naturally just mats into a lock. So our hair locking is something natural, but natural. But then you look at how even having, I don't like to call them dread, Having locks, yes, you know, yeah. locking your hair is yeah. seen as something that is so immodest mm-hmm. and wrong. Like, why are you locking your hair? And in There's that one, point that, it's haram. It's haram. Yeah, people will tell you it's haram because you know you can't wash your you can't wash your hair properly. Ben said, you know, and this this is one that cuts across the board to all men and women. You can be a young a responsible young man. You have a good job and everything. But the moment you show up with your hair in locks, 
problem. Everything mm-hmm. capacite. Mm-hmm. Let no young woman dare take you I'm to her parents you. to say they want to marry you. Yeah. Young woman, mm-hmm. you dare not lock your hair in certain households because then it's like your one for song you need and things like that. I think we need to. It, it's good to, to 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 you know to be modest or whatever, but then we also need to look at what. What what is the what is the foundation of you know the things that we push yeah. as modest yeah. or immodest things? Because being anti lock is very anti black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know that is that that is yeah. very anti black. So are you saying no to the locks because you know the haram or whatever which has no basis, or are you saying that it's not good because the white man told you that you know as a black person mm-hmm. your hair should be straight, it should look this way, it should mm-hmm. look certain way, and this is something that affects women even in certain professions. As a lawyer or yeah. as, a, as, as a banker, you know, you can't wear your hair a certain mm. way. Mm. You know, maybe in the legal profession, it's getting a bit easier. But in certain banks, when young women have their hair in locks, they have to wear a turban or something to yeah. cover it up. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be allowed to work. So we really need to question what is, what is the root cause of all these things we preach as modesty, where it's coming from. And then we can correctly, you know, choose which ones are fair for everyone and which ones are just, you know, a whole lot of nonsense. So a whole lot of nonsense. I think that's that's the phrase to describe <laughs> a lot of it. And I, I mean, we we talk about how it it might be good that people can be modest, but for me, who defines what modesty is? Mm-hmm. Who defines what modesty mm-hmm. looks like? Mm-hmm. Who defines what the parameters are? You know, and especially considering we all come from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different we're just different spirits in mm-hmm. general. So who defines what uh, modesty is? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really glad we talked about the impact it would have on the confidence of these girls, you know, who can't push back, who can't stand up for themselves and who have to continue to conform um, to these standards that people have set. Mm-hmm. We're going to go for a short break now. When we come back, we will get into the discussion around how all of this conditioning and all of these expectations and the burden we bear on our heads as women to be modest by society's terms eventually links to certain challenges we face when it comes to our sexuality, how mm-hmm. we express it, how we enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll take the break. When we come back, the discussion continues here on Whistle. Welcome back. You're listening to the Musul Podcast, um, brought to you by Jama, Hadi, and Gone. On this episode, uh, we are talking about the politics of modesty and the links to sexuality. In the first half of the episode, we have talked about the many different ways in which the politics of modesty manifests in our society, the burden that women and girls carry on their heads to meet societal expectations of modesty, um, what effects it has on their confidence, and um, also the very many different challenges we see in the homes and in professional settings and just society in general. Now, we are going into a section of the conversation where we want to examine what the links are to the expressions of sexuality by women and girls coming from an upbringing where you have always been told to be modest in your appearance, in your behavior, 
in your expression, which also includes sexual expression. Um, so that's basically what we're getting into. And I'm super excited because we, <laughs> we have a resident expert, Hadi. So she'll be schooling us and dropping all the gems here. And again, we will be sharing those experiences um, around what we have seen, what we have personally experienced as well. So the sudden movement mm-hmm. from Prim and Proper, Bah and You and Yaru and Nopi to <laughs> that sexy wife that's Jonge, Kijom al Jikaram. And, you know, coming t- into that from a whole lifetime of constant reminders about your virginity as virtue. Let's get into that, Dr. Cisse. (laughs) I think it's just very funny to me that we live in a country that will not even... So with the the new sex education curriculum Mm -hmm. in schools, we can't even call it sex ed. We're calling it comprehensive health education. So it's funny that for a country that says we can't even mention sex, we're obsessed with it. Like from the jump, (laughs) with like it's about... And then all of a sudden, that's what your entire life needs to be about. Mm-hmm. You go from "Hey, you don't want to be to "Bin bin dan kosa la sijikar chura dan arefli vechoyili this that this that and the third." But you you're growing up with there's such a disconnect, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it makes sense because <laughs> if we weren't obsessed with sex, then we wouldn't have such a hush hush, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mentality about it. Mm-hmm. Like we refuse to do the education that's needed mm. to have a more standing and you know ha- just get the nuances of things. I think also that's our issue with Gambia. Mm. We are very black and white. There's yeah. not enough space for nuance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like people in different countries will say that, but as a Gambian, I can only speak about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not. We don't make enough room for. We, oh, it's always zero to a hundred with everything. But so it's just very funny to me that we go from never talk about sex to please make your whole life about sex and even when you're making it your whole life it's not for your pleasure and it's not for you but it's for the man that you're married to and Mm. even at that point you can't you still can't talk about it it's like this thing that everybody's doing with their neighbors (laughs) everyone and their neighbors engage in it but we don't talk about it at all (laughs) (laughs) that's the burden that's the burden again (laughs) no like how said it's it's just really funny Mm. and just I think right now we're looking at it in terms of consensual sex, but mm-hmm. just the mere fact that we don't talk about sex at all is what has caused a lot of problems for us, especially mm-hmm. with, you know, sexual abuse and, yeah. you know, molestation and whatever that goes on in our homes, in our schools, you know, in our churches and mosques and everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a problem that we have with sex. We just have a problem with that word. We don't want to say it. Nobody's doing it, you know, nobody is having it with someone with or without their consent. It's just taboo. Let's not talk about it. It's under the rug. But the moment you get married, before, ah, before, and then the, the, it start before, even, before, yeah, yeah, you reach a certain age and, you know, people start talking about, you know, how, you know, I'm like my whole life you have not mentioned yeah. anything about this even when I started seeing my, my, my period and became at risk of getting mm-hmm. pregnant you still would not talk to me about how I would get pregnant mm-hmm. all you said to me mm-hmm. was you know mm-hmm. I remember one time we mm-hmm. talked about this on Twitter and you could see that for majority of the girls or women who participated in that conversation mm-hmm. that's what that's all you got yeah you're now grown, you should be careful else you'd, you'd get pregnant. But nobody talked to you about what leads to the pregnancy and how you can avoid getting pregnant. 
you know, what you can do to protect yourself and just not even pregnancy, but also STIs, you know, all these other diseases that are out there. We only see pregnancy, but there, there, there's a whole lot of STIs and everything, you know, that's going on. So, yes, we shy away from this topic and I feel like us shying away from it is why we have a huge case of sexual violence mm. in this country because um, sex is something, it's regarded as something that happens to women. Yeah. So you're a woman and sex happens to you. You know, your husband does it or what your whatever does it to you. And then, you know, that's how it is. So whatever you're learning about it, it's not for your own pleasure. It's it's for somebody else's pleasure. It's for you to pleasure someone yeah. else. So when somebody when, when that is uh, if that is if that is how, you know, we're raised, then that's why we have this um, this problem where men who rape or molest women or young girls see them as, you know, someone that belongs to me. Yeah. This is something that I have a right to do to them. And mm-hmm. then, you know, they do that to you. And because we don't talk about it, we still have all these problems of, you know, people faking their virginity. You know, a whole kind of worms that I don't yeah. even think we're we'll ready we'll to, dedicate you know, an to, yeah. to yes. that. The, the, the purity culture and The purity culture we'll and everything. And, and the fact that um, even in relation to sex, when you link sex with modesty, for example, in Islam, we know there's a Quranic verse that says, you know, the chaste men for the chaste woman. But chastity oh. is something that is pushed on young women. A young woman is So you have a young man at home, you know, everyone is saying, here, you know, there's a lot of girls after you. You, you know, you have so many girlfriends, you're doing this, you're doing that. Oh, this girl came here today. Another girl came here the next day. But then, so that man is, that, that boy or young man is free to explore and, you know, just live life. And then you expect the young woman to remain chaste, to remain a virgin. Nothing is supposed to happen to them. Forgetting that in a hugely, hugely heterosexual society that we live in, all those things that happen to women are caused by men. So, you know. The thing is not balancing that. The equation is not balancing. It's not, <laughs> it's not at all. It's not. Can do all good in your teeth and Why do you anymore? Do we even else? have a concept of good <laughs> and now in this country? Like that's that's the question we need to ask. <laughs> so I mean, we could do a whole episode on this, but the whole idea of now. You mentioned the discussion on periods <coughs> on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I remember there was another one on how men lost their virginity. What was their first experience of yes. sex? Yes. And a lot of them, from the stories they were sharing, it was actually sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. raped. They were mm-hmm. molested mm-hmm. because they were kids. Mm-hmm. It wasn't without. They can't consent anyway. Anyway, no. you know. And that was their first experience. And but it, it is usually women. seen as something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. You know, as a mm-hmm. man, as a boy, this is something you you boast about. It's like a so coming I, of age. Exactly. Story. A lot of my them don't even realize. A lot of the a lot of the stories were my maids, mm-hmm. our helps. You know, mm-hmm. but also just older cousins, older mm-hmm. sisters, mm-hmm. you know, aunties. aunties, all of these things are happening and we, we just have that problem, but nobody, yes. st- well, nobody wants it. to talk about it because <laughs> it's sex. No, I think for me, what I wanted to add is how we continue to prioritize virginity for girls mm-hmm. and women as a virtue, mm-hmm. but then continuously overlook the actual reality and fact that um, sexual violence is the root cause of girls and young women not being quote unquote mm-hmm. versions. I don't mm-hmm. like the term virginity at all. It's outdated mm-hmm. and we need to do better with using other terms around that. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that, you know, it's so he- but it's so heavily leaning out have to be like this, you have to be like this. Mm-hmm. But then so oh yeah, this and this happened to me. So and so happened to me. They don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. 
they'll be like, it's a family problem. Like, you know, they go MLSC beat kid, we don't call Bala and Yala, blah, 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 blah. And they love bringing Yala when it's time to, you know, actually amend a woman's wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's for me, this whole topic is always funny to me, but it's just extremely <laughs> funny to me <laughs> that we are so this idea of prim and proper and then mm-hmm. going turning into like the sexy how wife or whatnot when there's so many steps that we miss mm-hmm. and even the steps that we miss is a lot of yes there's a lot of consensual sex going on outside of marriage that's great get your own but <laughs> there's <laughs> there's you know there's a lot of sexual violence that we're not discussing and that's the main for me I believe the main reason that a lot of you know a lot of girls are fearful of the night of marriage or whatnot because they know yeah. that something had happened to them, mm-hmm. but they couldn't even disclose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's even before it happens, how you're sitting in your wedding, at your wedding, it's your wedding reception, and everybody's saying, hey, tasty, goody. It's all of those things. Everybody's sitting in their little corners anticipating you having sex. What Don't people have things to do? <laughs> don't they have better things to do? Like... No, they do not. They do not. Um, yeah, they don't have anything better to do because they'll stay the night at you and your husband's house, yeah, waiting for you yeah. to put the white sheet after you do the do, <laughs> so that they can they can be like, okay, yeah, she, she. And also, it's just so invasive and it's so haram to sit there and literally wait for people to have sex. Like voyeurism. Jesus. And not even sleep because they wake you up at the crack of dawn. Like, what? What are you doing? Can we get some sleep? <laughs> Can we? Get, we've had a ball, and it happens after a whole, you know, period of weeks where you've been running up and down to prepare for your wedding, mm-hmm. and then the whole wedding day itself—it's the stress with our Gambian culture of sol simi, sol simi, sol simi, you know. And then you can't even get some sleep because, huh? This is the expectation you have to fulfill. Give us the red stained sheets. Mm-hmm. And no, I was just um, going to say that modesty and sexuality are so linked that even somebody who openly talks about sex or who is, mm. you know, so in tune with their sexuality that, you know, they could even be somebody who is quote unquote a virgin. Mm. But, you know, they just, yeah. you know, when someone is in tune with their sexuality, it's, it, it, it shows up in the way they walk, the way they speak, you know, the, you know, the way they act and such people are always regarded as very vulgar people. Yeah. You're so vulgar, yes. you know. Like, can't you hear what they're saying? Yeah. How they're acting? Look at the way she's moving. Look at the way she's dancing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's a problem. It's, Every it's single a problem. Move Every police. single move you Every make is police. Move. So yeah. it, it, that makes you realize that, you know, our, our obsession with modesty, you know, it has nothing to even do with chastity. Because chastity, as we mm-hmm. see, you could be a chaste person, as in you, you know, you haven't, you're not sexually experienced. But just because you're in tune with your sexuality, you are regarded as somebody who's immodest. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're not chaste in the way you, you dress, in the way you dance. You're a bad person. You're not somebody, you know, who should have friends. You're not somebody, you know, a good child should should befriend. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We, there's a lot we need to unpack, and I don't think uh, there's enough time to do that in nope. in one podcast session. Mm-hmm enough time for that but i'm just thinking from my experiences as you know someone that presents out as a modest person that i teach sex ed mm-hmm. and that is also looked at many because they, there's an automatic assumption that if you're teaching something then you must be doing yeah. mm-hmm. many many things to be mm-hmm. 
ma'am, I have degrees. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just sad. You're looked at because you you cannot talk about it as an unmarried person. Mm-hmm. Like the minute you want to talk about sex in any way as an unmarried person, it's like, hmm, this and this and this is going on. But it's like, if we're not having these conversations and if we're not killing the silence, mm-hmm. as one of my favorite Arjuna quotes says, like your silence will not protect you. Mm-hmm. So if we're not dismantling that silence around something that, and you know, and also it can be life saving, mm-hmm. then what are we doing? Yeah. No idea. Yeah. And I think it just, um, again, comes back to the thought around, so we're, we're discussing, I'm thinking, even that silence is sometimes considered a thing of modesty. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, do you hamal ken? And it comes back to the whole sutura thing, right? That, mm-hmm. ah, it pisses me off. <laughs> but it comes back to that, that whole sutura thing. So, even when you're struggling... Um, even when you're in pain, even when you're experiencing so much hardship and difficulty, um, especially within the context, in the context within which we're saying this, which is transitioning from that whole conditioning of modesty to now getting into being married and everybody expects you to just gift sex mm-hmm. completely. It's not something you enjoy. It's not something you're doing for your own pleasure. It's something that you're gifting to mm-hmm. your husband, your partner, whoever mm-hmm. that is, you know, and for some people who struggle, because like you said, the education is not there, um, the experience is not there, and there might be struggles that they could be going through, they would still, in a way, embrace silence as modesty. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't talk about this. So you can't mm-hmm. even talk to... Nobody's saying go out in public and say it. You know, go to the media, for example, and say it. But for some of them, there's even a struggle to talk to someone that you trust. Even within your family, even within your friend's circle, even among your sisters, you're unable to talk to anyone about it because you're also taught that mun is modesty, silence is modesty. You mm-hmm. understand? Sutura is modesty. If you break any of those, if you speak about your challenges, mm-hmm. then you're being, you know, immoral. Mm-hmm. You know, you're being mm-hmm. irresponsible. Mm-hmm. You cannot be respected. And it comes back to the point Go was making around how. We take modesty to completely define who gets respect, mm-hmm. who is considered as responsible, mm-hmm. you know, who is considered as moral in our society, mm-hmm. you know. So that whole silence um, as modesty where you can't talk to anyone at all, it, it just adds to all of the pressures that people face. Mm-hmm. Significantly. And then, oh, I love, I love how they link it to religion. <laughs> see, the one thing that I say to every woman that I know that wants to be a religious person or wants to believe in any religion, learn it for yourself. Yeah. If yeah. not, they will feed you all kinds of information to subjugate and so yeah. you're not going to be a very happy person. The interpretations, fact, the interpretations yeah. are generally very sexist. Um, don't it's just serve true. men and serve men and serve men. And that's a whole mm-hmm. life of servitude. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, I mean, I mean. <laughs> But it's not all doom and gloom. And I think that is the essence of the conversations we're having. Um, Moving away from everything that we have known. So again, the point around unlearning, Mm -hmm. learning new things, learning better things, taking them on. And so I guess for us, it's really just how do we deal with this? How do what are the coping mechanisms? What what tips do we have? What advice do we have? Um, 
maybe for little girls who might be listening, but it's not just the little girls. It's also so many older women mm-hmm. um, who could be benefiting from this, who could be having that light bulb moment and saying, oh, this is actually what I have been struggling with. Mm-hmm. Because you haven't even been able to identify what it was and relate it to your experiences. Mm-hmm. So coping mechanisms, our resident expert, our lawyer, it's a room full <laughs> of experts out here. Outcome specialists. <laughs> So what, what, what coping mechanisms can we think about? What have we also seen, um, like women do, you know, push back against some of these, um, these practices, push back against the burden and all of these expectations? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. if I would start, I think mm-hmm. my main thing is learn who you are for yourself. Yeah. So know yourself completely, know what you're comfortable with, know, you know, who you're comfortable with and just... Have sessions for yourself that are outside of what people expect and determine for you to be. Mm -hmm. Once you're able to be comfortable with who you are, then a lot of other things like, you know, what you're expected to look like, what you're expected to dress like, it it phases you less Mm -hmm. because you're comfortable with who you are as a person. And I think also education is really important. And I'm not even, you know, not even talking about proper go, go to a university Mm-hmm. Not that. Mm-hmm. Just being educated about issues that are important and relevant to you, because it'll help you make the proper decisions on taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important you point out um, education is not just what happens in the well formal institutions of learning, because I think mm-hmm. we sometimes approach this as though it were something new. It's something that's being introduced as usual from outside. But you look at our cultural practices. You look at how all the women. You have all of these. You know kind of secret societies but then they do that grooming they, mm-hmm. we used to have that mm-hmm. where they would they would prepare of course it's it's a life of preparing you to get married which is also nonsense in its own <laughs> but then we should not be treating sex education or sexual sexuality education as something new or as something important mm-hmm. it it has or been happening different. yeah it has been happening in our societies we just did not name it in the way that the white person had has named it Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that 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 is very important that you point out that your education can come from anyone. Just let it be somebody who knows what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I, I think um, what Hadi said is closely linked to my coping mechanism because I remember one time my dad said to me that the most important thing is your conscience. Hmm. So if your conscience is clear, say what you want to say, do what you want to do. You know, be who you want to be as long as your conscience is clear. And that is linked to knowing who you are. Because you have to know who you are in order to, you know, to to realize what makes you comfortable, what makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think you have to define modesty for yourself. How do I how, how how do I relate to God or you know whatever spiritual being you believe with? How do I relate to or relate with my friends, my family? myself because your relationship with yourself is also it's it's actually the most important thing so if if you know who you are in all of these contexts then that also determines um how you act and in in relation to you know what you wear i i feel like as long as you're comfortable you know if you wear something that deep down inside in your conscience you know you're not comfortable in not because of what people are going to say, but because you yourself do not feel like this represents who you are, 
then that is where modesty begins because then it translates into everything you do it translates into your work your relationships with people so ultimately like i said you have to know yourself you have to get educated as well but your conscience is the most important thing whatever decision you're making make sure that it rep- it represents who you are and then you know when you when you go to bed you sleep soundly because you yeah. know whatever you did is what you wanted to do and you're comfortable doing it because that's that's who you are and i think also um having a group of people that affirm you mm-hmm. not yeah. in a neg- not in a way that's like oh they're just yes men and they'll just tell you <laughs> here definitely not mm-hmm. but people that you can trust in people that you can confide in people that you can believe in people that will tell you yeah like you know i understand mm-hmm. why you're doing certain things for yourself mm-hmm. versus like people that will make continue to make you adhere to societal standards even if they know that it does not fulfill you and it's completely wrong for you and it doesn't because i know that we live in a, a society that tells you consistently what else in your life say is what's correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, it can be in terms of dress in terms of where you go to school in terms mm-hmm. of religion yeah. in terms of where you work everything mm-hmm. they tell you this is in that but at the end of the day just because doesn't mean that they know exactly what your situation is mm-hmm. or that they've lived your situation mm-hmm. and they what they, the advice that they're giving you most of the time it's just what society is telling them that they need to tell you mm-hmm. yeah. but in the long run it's not like it's it's fulfilling you or and healing should always be a priority so I think it's really important that again when knowing what works for you and knowing what makes you comfortable you realize that yeah sometimes your parents your aunt are very upset with you but they'll get over it because you're doing what's best for you in the long run and your happiness mm-hmm. in the long run will also make them happy in the long run when they see that you're happy it's okay to disappoint people sometimes yeah as long as you're not disappointing yourself yourself yeah, um, yeah and even exactly. disappointing your kids I mean, that's, that can be okay sometimes as well yeah my mom and all of them are just looking at me like what kind of madness is this but then eventually they saw my point because I still persevered in whatever it is that I wanted to do and they saw that okay you know what Mm -hmm. she's happy and her decision didn't destroy the planet (laughs) so all is well and I think yeah it it, it very much links to the point um, that I want to make as well where it's about sometimes resisting you know Mm -hmm. resistance brings us the change it's about resisting in the little ways and the big ways in whatever way you can i understand obviously we have different levels of privilege to resist certain things um but in whatever way you can if you can you can resist some of these things Mm -hmm. you know i I like to talk about how my whole wedding (laughs) wedding journey was a journey of resistance you know just resisting everyone's expectations and what they wanted and how they wanted it, especially when it came to that wedding night issue and the proof of virginity issue. I did not conform to what they wanted to do. I did things how I wanted to. I did things that I felt comfortable with, with my partner. And these were things that we discussed and agreed. But even then, it was like when I said, Manbugumali, Bokumasenyo Inunu, people were like, Limasi, Chasan, blah, blah. And then when I use Smajikarmina, Bokutsilo, Inunu, everyone just accepts it. You understand? Because, oh, Bugurko. So it just shows you how mm-hmm. it's not even about the, the thing itself. It's not, sometimes it's not even about the act itself. It's about who, who is power. making that choice. Mm-hmm. Is it the woman mm-hmm. making the choice? Then no, we're not going to accept it. You have to conform. Is it the man making the choice? Ah, okay. We'll, we'll just accept it, even though this is not what we're used to and stuff like that. So for me, it's about resist in every way you can. And it comes back to believing in yourself, like Hadi has said. Mm-hmm. Know who you are. Know what you want. Sit with yourself. 
Sit with yourself, sit with your thoughts, sit with your heart, sit with your spirit and understand who you are. What do you want? Where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? And most times, everything people people say could be distractions on that journey of getting to where you want to get to. So if you want to pay mm-hmm. attention to all of the things that people are saying, you're probably not going to get to realize that vision of yourself, um, that vision of who you want to be. So for me, like that issue about as long as your conscience is clear, as long as you know who you are and what you want, go ahead and do what you mm-hmm. want. Society will be fine. Society has always been society fine. Is fine. If anything at all, society has always been fine. Society will be fine. But our resistance will get us those little changes that make sure in the future our daughters, obviously my daughter, I'm not going to put that pressure on my daughter, right? But then if we do it, we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're mm-hmm. doing it for the collective and that is how change happens. So mm-hmm. resist, resist as much as you can, right? <laughs> and as someone on Twitter said, I can't remember who it was, um, culture is just peer pressure from dead people. So, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I was subconsciously forcing myself to listen to the Wolof version 
to so do away with that time. discomfort because mm-hmm. it's like the first time I listened, I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> you know. But I don't have that discomfort when I say, and we we teach the girls like mm-hmm. with JW mentorship. We do that. We mm-hmm. tell them name your private parts, mm-hmm. say the names as they are, but these are English names, and mm-hmm. I am not uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So I have just decided I'm going to keep listening to the Wall of Ones until mm-hmm. I'm able to completely do away. With the discomfort I feel when I hear my private parts named as they are in Wolof. Yeah, and probably in other local languages as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a huge shout out to Amuso for the week. Um, Go check out the Lotus Flower podcast. And um, thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to Muso. Mm -hmm. Listening to our ramblings. (laughs) (laughs) Listening to Hadith Unruly Thoughts. Um, And just everything. I was very calm today. Surprisingly. Surprisingly, you've been modest yes. today. <laughs> I've been very, very, very kind. When I saw this topic, I was like, "This is where I want to shine." But like, I realized, you know what? We can just keep it. We can keep it cool today, because since we want to talk about modesty, I'll, I'll play into society's trap for modesty. But with what I said about well, what, what we're talking about rebelling, please, if you get in trouble, don't contact us. <laughs> the lawyer. But me and Jama know. She'll bail you out. <laughs> but yeah, it's always it's always um, interesting whenever we have these discussions. And you know, we have our social media pages. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on you know Instagram on at Muso Podcast. So we're at Muso Podcast everywhere. You can follow us. Subscribe to our channel. Is that how they say? Subscribe to our channel. Follow our channel. (laughs) You know, we'll be on iTunes and all on all platforms where you can listen, where you listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm. So you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone for tuning in. So yeah, I'm going to share our our social media. We're everywhere on social media. At least everywhere. Um, so listen, tune into the podcast, listen to this and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you and questions. Yes. So, um, if you want to share your thoughts, you can just add the hashtag MusoPod, um, and we'll be able to track that. If you have any questions at all, if you have any experiences related to our topic for today, which is the politics of modesty and the links to sexuality, you can always holler at us. Um, and we will be happy to continue the conversation with you on social media and even um, in our private DMs, if you don't want that out just yet. Mm-hmm. We'll take the opportunity to thank Ibu Jaite um, of Right Click, who has been holding it down for us on the technical side. Um, thanks a lot to Ibu. And um, yeah, over to you again, Hadi. Uh, well, we are signing out now. We hope you all have a great week. And as always, thank you for listening. And we hope to um, see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Keep resisting.